Welcome to the Adventure Audio Podcast. This is an awesome episode. We're super, super excited to share it with you. We got to chat with Andy Van Bergen, who is the mastermind behind the Everesting Cycling Challenge and the Running Challenge too, for that matter. Uh, the founder of Hell's 500 and a longtime contributor to Cycling Tips. So if you are a listener of the podcast, you know that we have a little side obsession going on with Everesting and that phenomenon, especially with what it became uh, during the pandemic and how it reached everybody's radar. So Andy's the guy uh, who who looks after it, who takes care of the Hall of Fame. He does everything. It's, it's his baby. Um, and he's still just as passionate about it, which you can tell. So we reached out to him and he graciously spent some time with us on the podcast and explained some of the origins of it and we get into it and he's just an all-around awesome guy so a huge thank you to Andy for spending some time with us we hope that you guys enjoy this conversation just as much as we did this episode of the podcast is brought to you by the state bicycle company we have been riding their 6061 all-road bikes all over the place on the road off the road single track gravel you name it uh, we've been on these bikes. They're tremendous value. Uh, you can get two sets of wheels, 700C, 650Bs. With a little bit of a knobbier tire, they've got an 11-speed one-by drivetrain, carbon forks, tons of tire clearance. Like You can fit up to a 2.2-inch tire on the 650Bs, so you can do just about anything on this bike. So if you're considering getting a bike for gravel, for a do-anything Swiss Army knife bike, for bike packing you really should check them out. They also do a whole bunch of other really cool stuff from apparel and gear and uh, fixed gear bikes, all that stuff. Statebicycle.com is where you can check them out. If you use code ADVENTUREAUDIO, all one word, you will get free shipping from them as well. The podcast is also brought to you by the Black Bibs, who are home to unbranded and affordable cycling apparel. The Black Bibs is where you can get the now legendary $40 bib shorts, plus ultralight jerseys in solid colors. They also have released some socks recently, which look really cool. Check out theblackbibs.com. Absolutely awesome value and really, really excellent gear. Lastly, the podcast is brought to you by Richie Design. Richie has long been synonymous with dirt. It's even more true today than when the company began nearly 50 years ago. Manufactured of gravel components like the fan favorite Venture Max handlebar to the all new Outback frame set, Richie is still the master of all things dirt. Check them out at richielogic.com. On to Andy Van Bergen. Everybody, thank you for listening. We greatly appreciate that. By lending some support to the podcast, by liking or subscribing wherever you find the pod, that means a lot to us, helps other listeners find it. And uh, we appreciate it. And we appreciate you tuning in and spending some time with us. So we have Andy Van Bergen, who is like... When somebody talks about Everest thing, like how do you how do you um, how do you identify yourself as being the person who sort of made this like a real thing? Because like we know the background and how George Mallory the second or junior sort of did it on like like a bit of a lark as as part of his actual climbing training, but you're 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 sort of like chiefly responsible for making this like a real challenge. So. We definitely want to get into that. But before we start that, like our, if you've listened to our podcast, you know that we're more interested in people than we are in things. So like, just tell us about you. You obviously love cycling because nobody goes that far down any type of a rabbit hole unless you do. So where did like, tell us about your background and how you got into it and came to cycling tips and all that stuff. 
Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me on the on the show. Obviously, big big fan of uh, what you guys do, and, and so stoked uh, to be on here. I've, I've always been a fan of cycling, and that's long before I was. I would kind of identify as a cyclist myself. I've I've always watched the Tour de France, and I think like a lot of people, kind of getting into watching the Tour de France back when I was I was sort of growing up. It was really because it was essentially a tourism commercial for France, and it, and it kind of evoked this sense of, of kind of wanderlust for, for traveling overseas and for seeing exotic locations. And as each year went on, I, I kind of, I'd understand a little bit more about the tour and I could see that it wasn't just a whole bunch of people racing for the finish, but I got a greater understanding for the tactics and I guess the heroes and the villains of, uh, of, of the, the pro peloton as well. And as everyone knows, you know, once you get in as a cycling, start to become a, more of a cycling fan, you get to realise the the intricacies of it all. But still, it was it was many years kind of before I really got into cycling myself. I've, I've always had cycling in my life, but it, I'd say it was more of a functional uh, component of my life. So it was getting to work or, or kind of transportation, but I didn't really have any interest in that. And it was actually, it was my younger sister, um, who 20 years ago, who... Uh, she went and bought a, her first road bike and the moment she did, she was like, Andy, you've got to check this out. You, you really you really must do this. And we've always sort of done a lot of uh, adventuring together, whether it's hiking or, or running and, and stuff, myself and my sister. And so I took took her word for it and I went out and bought a, uh, what was it? It was the Trek, um, whatever Lance was riding on at the time, the the, the Trek. I, I bought some second hand. Like the Madonna like 5000. The yeah, the five thousand before it was a Madone, right? Yeah, it was maybe. I think, yeah, you're yeah. right. You're right. And um, you know, went and bought you know my first set of lycra, and I, I, I distinctly remember that very, very first experience riding a road bike because I was just blown away by the acceleration and like how how fast I could go all of a sudden. Again, I've been riding bikes all my life, but I just couldn't comprehend how much easier it was and. It was literally that very first ride that I did that all of a sudden all these light bulbs went off and I realized why people could ride all day and enjoy and say they enjoyed this thing, which was usually like a bit of a struggle for me, you know, like you, you were kind of always pushing against it. Whereas all of a sudden it was a lot more comfortable and fast and I don't know, it made me feel amazing. I could cover so much more ground. And literally from that very first time I, I clipped in, uh, I was I was hooked. So I kind of jumped in and this is yeah, 20 years ago, I cut my teeth in, in, you know, checking out all sorts of rides in, in our local area. Beach road is, is kind of like the famous place in Melbourne to, to go riding. So I'd ride there every weekend. And I started doing uh, events that were coming on. So, you know, whether they were you know, fondos or, or similar to that. And myself and my uncle would, would ride together a lot as well. And we'd basically go through and, we ticked off all of the, the cycling events that we possibly could and some of them were going back for a second or a third time and it just wasn't quite um, challenging enough. You know, we, we were able to complete all of those and it wasn't for us about doing it fast, it was just about the idea of training up for this challenge that you couldn't do and because there was no event that really kind of ticked the box for us, we just said, well, we'll just we'll go and create our own event. and. The whole idea of it, and not to invite other people, but literally just for the two of us. And the, the whole idea of it would be, okay, you know, winter in Melbourne's pretty cold and we need something to motivate us to get out of bed when it's cold and wet outside. The last thing you want to be doing is jumping on a bike, but 
if we had that training goal in mind, then that'll be the motivation for us. So we created what we called our, our Epic and we'd heard about, for example, at the time, there was this passport that you could get in the high country of Victoria, seven mountain climbs, all of them around about a thousand meters of elevation gain, some of them a bit more. And this passport, the idea was you had the whole summer to kind of kick off each of those seven, you know, you go out and it's like a tourism thing. And we're like, great, what, what an awesome goal to work, work towards. We, we haven't done these climbs before. We could go and train for them together and we'd go out and each weekend we'd go out and do another one. And so, yeah, we were able to, to tick that passport off. And then when it came to next year, we thought, well, I wonder how quickly we could do them all if we were to line them all up one after the other rather than doing it over the space of three or four months. What if we were to do it over the space of a couple of days? And we'd heard, we were sort of inquired about the record, not that there was really a record or anything, but we'd heard about a couple of dudes who had done it in seven days, seven peaks in seven days. Wow, that was insane. That's a lot of lot of climbing. So, but we thought, well, we, we really enjoy hill climbing. We can probably do it a bit faster and mapped it all out. And we ended up doing that challenge in about 50 hours, I think it was. And wow. it includes about a thousand, thousand kilometers of driving to get to each of these places. Yeah. And the clock's ticking the whole time. And we had a couple of sleeps in there as well, but we, we, you know, really enjoyed that. And, but of course, like any adventure that the next thing you want to do is, okay, well, we've learned from that experience, but we know where we can cut the time down and make some efficiencies. And we were riding up and down each of those hills, but if we were to get a support crew, we could just ride up and make, for most of them, we wouldn't have to ride down. We could save some time there. And because we weren't driving, we wouldn't be so fatigued ourselves as well. Cause that first year we did that thousand kilometers of driving as well as riding up and down all of the hills. It was it was crazy. So yeah, we went and went and uh, attempted it the next year with all those efficiencies in mind, and we ended up doing it in I think it was about thirty-two hours or, or something like that. It was it was a lot a lot quicker, and um, that that record stood for I don't know like seven or eight years or so. Um, so when it came to the next year, again we we're thinking right now we've got this idea of this annual epic that we're training for. And, by now, there was a few of in, in my in my kind of cycling network or crew that liked the idea of climbing with us and, and doing these these sorts of challenges with us. So each year, the kind of this this annual epic grew and grew until a couple of years ago, uh, I'd sort of name each of these epics, and I had this idea of um, this loop had just opened up in the high country of Victoria. It was two hundred and thirty five kilometres. And it was about four and a half thousand vertical meters of climbing. And it was only possible because they'd finally paved the back of this really steep and gnarly gravel climb, but it was now, now ash hole. So you could, you could ride the whole thing. And so we'd just gone and, and done that on a weekend as soon as it was open, because we'd heard about it and thought, wow, that, that looks like an amazing loop. And then a few weeks later, uh, one of the big organizations, cycling organizations here in Melbourne, decided to run an event there. And they said, right, this is the hardest thing. You could never do this unsupported. And we're like, hang on a minute. We just went and did that last weekend ourselves, you know, like self-supported. So we thought, well, we'll stick it up them. Like we'll not only go and ride it, but then we'll turn around and ride the whole thing in reverse. Um, and it was sort of like nine and a half thousand vertical meters. And it was going to be Ooh. 400 and something Ks. We'd have a sleep in there, of course, but we thought, well, like may, may as well round it out. The idea of doing 10,000 metres is obviously quite appealing. And, you know, if we were to do 500 kilometres and 10,000, that's like a nice nice sort of round number. So that was the goal and that's what we, we decided to do. And I'd sort of been naming each of these epics just to give it 
a tag and by now there were people that were kind of following along in our story as well. So I figured, well, it's 500 kilometres, we'd be going through hell, so I'm going to call that Hell's 500. And okay, I was wondering where that came from. That's where it came from. And, and so we went and did it and we were successful and we, we, we like, it's so bizarre now because as crazy it is, as it is, if you do 500 kilometres and 10,000 vertical metres over a weekend these days, people go, oh, cool, that's, that's nice. But because it's so normalised, partly because of Everesting and partly because of yep. this, you know, ultra uh, scene that's really growing. But at the time, it was just so above and beyond anything that anyone had really heard for, of that it just really gained a lot of attraction and, and notoriety. And people would introduce us and say, oh, you know, it's John and Andy and, and you know, those Hells 500 guys. Um, and, and the name sort of just stuck. But then, of course, like every year, we'd have just a handful more people say, hey, I'm, I'm keen, I want to be in on whatever this next epic is. So, you know, the following year, there was 15 people and then the following year, there was 20 people. And then the year after that, we just had so many people. I, I had over 100 people from all over the world. Like I had people from the States and from, from in England and a guy from France who wanted to fly to Australia to come and join us for our epic. And it's like, you don't understand, this isn't some big event. It's literally my parents baking, you know, usually slice and handing out bananas and my sister and my wife, like taking photos, hanging out inside of the car. And like, there's no, there's no event. There's no hoarding or, or banners or anything like that. It's just, just us. So we, we had to knock back a whole lot of people, but I kind of realized at that point that if we were to continue doing these Hell's 500 epics and by now we had like a, quite an interested and growing community in what we we're doing as well. I kind of knew that if this was to continue, it'd have to be something that wasn't bound by a geographic location. It was it was this idea of like a replicable challenge that you could pick up and do in your backyard wherever you were in the world. And I come from Dutch background, and I'm a obviously a, a very keen hill climber. So my my yardstick and all of this was like it has to be able to work in, in the Netherlands, <laughs> you know, the, the flattest place on earth, just about like, if, if it can't work there, then it can't work anyway. So I kind of always had that in the back of my mind as well. Um, but I'd heard about this training ride. You, you mentioned before George Mallory, uh, junior, so the grandson of, of the George Mallory. And I'd read about this training ride that he did 20 years before back in 1994. And, you know, you guys talked about the story, obviously he was training to, to climb Mount Everest itself as a, as a mountaineer, uh, he did this epic ride where he climbed the equipment height of Mount Everest. And I, I think he'd, he'd written the article uh, like back, I don't know, 20, 2012 or whatever it was. So it was like years and years before uh, about this ride from 20 years ago. And, and whenever, when I'd read about that, it just kind of stuck in the back of my brain. Like, it's so crazy. Like Everest is the biggest and most mon monumental thing in the world. And to climb the equivalent height, was crazy and I guess I was in a fortunate position where because we'd done so many of these large elevation challenges where we'd done you know like 10,000 over two days or 6,000 in a day or 7,000 in a day I had a pretty good understanding myself of what that elevation height that he climbed was like and we I hadn't even climbed that high myself in that amount of time so I knew it was big and meaty but but also Hell's 500 was kind of Gaining, gaining notoriety for being those guys that were pushing the envelope and doing something harder than possible. So I thought, well, that, that's it. Like maybe maybe this is it. If we could replicate that in, in your own backyard 
set a set a simple framework, then here's potentially our challenge that that could kind of unite our community. We could all do it together, and uh, we could we could yeah we could do this in, uh, at the at the same time. So I launched I launched the idea under 100% secrecy with with the crew, and it was about 150 people um, who were interested in finding out about this. So the deal was the only way you could find out about it was if you completed one of our Hell's 500 epics before, which is maybe 20 or 30 people, or alternatively, you needed to show us a ride where you'd done 5,000 meters of elevation in one ride. If you could do that, then you could qualify to hear about what our next epic was, because it was completely, completely under wraps. And the, the reason I kept it under wraps was because like I said, you know, these big rides were not normalized at this point in time. And I knew that, I mean, the, last, the only time I've heard about anyone climbing the height of Everest was 20 years ago. And so I knew if, if one person did it in this age of kind of Strava and social media, if one person did it in a weekend, everybody would be talking about it. So in my mind, I just thought, oh, what if it's not one person? Well, what if it's 10 or 20 or 30 or 50 people that do it at once? And that would just be bonkers. And if that comes out of nowhere, then that, that'll, that'll kind of gain, gain a lot of uh, attention. So, yeah, there's of the uh, there's about 120 people who sent through qualifying rides. And for, for most people, that meant they had to go out and do a 5,000-metre ride to qualify. So it's not like you've got one of those in your bag most of the time. So people are doing the hardest ride of their life to find out about what this epic was. <laughs> and it was pretty disappointing disappointed people when I then dropped on them what the actual event was that they got told to uh, yeah, where to go a couple of times. Uh, plenty of people in that in that maybe 120 qualifiers that told us that it was completely bonkers and it was going to be impossible. Again, there was no yardstick other than this guy that we didn't really know that well that it had sort of done it all these years ago. But we talked about it with George and he kind of gave us our blessing and encouragement and said he'd actually jump, jump on with us and join us in, in kind of launching this, this concept that we decided to call Everest at the same time. And yeah, then it happened. So it was in uh, 2014 on this one weekend in February, uh, there was about 50 people that, that went out to different pockets uh, all around the world and, and went and attempted their own Everesting. And it, it was massive, obviously. Like uh, I, I knew it would be big. And, and I think in the end, there was maybe 30 or 35 people that were successful that opening weekend. But there was, we had, you know, general media covering us. You know, our, our biggest newspaper in Australia was had had like big, a big full page on on this thing. Thing. Uh, obviously, the cycling community went absolutely bananas for it. And I, I sort of I, I had this sense that there'd be interest in this concept. It just and yeah, literally from that from that very moment, every single weekend from then until now, there's there's been some Everest things. And I mean, these days there's multiple Everestings every single day in, I think there's, we're uh, 108 different countries have been Everested now. Uh, really? Over 17,000 people. Uh, so it's 17,000 attempts. So it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Although that's still a super low number compared to the number of people who ride a century or run a marathon every year, right? Yeah, totally. It's, it's interesting. Like when you... It's funny how I hear, like, that number's been big to me when it was 100 people. It's 100 people, that's insane. 100, that's an insane amount of people knowing how tough it is. Um, and, and in those early days, one of my good friends, Colin Bell, said to me, Andy, 
Hell's 500, imagine, I, I see that you're going to get 500 Everestings as well. That's going to be this nice, cute little tie in Hell's 500 and 500 Everestings. It's like, Cole, you're crazy. Like, there will never, like, there just isn't that many crazy people in the world to be able to do this. And yeah, fast forward to now when it, where it's like, you know, 17,000 plus. And it, you know, when we hit 3,000, I was like, that's such an insane number. Or, or at the end of 2019, it was just under 5,000 people. I couldn't believe it, 5,000 entries in the Hall of Fame. So to hear you say 17,000 is not a big number. Well, it's a big number to me, but also, yeah, I, I agree. Like compared to a century, compared to a marathon, which, you know, everything's been compared to, to the marathon of, of, uh, of, of running, so, of cycling, I should say. So, yeah, it's... It's exciting. The marathon was five times longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's always interesting hearing athletes who come from other uh, backgrounds as well. So obviously there's a lot of marathon runners. We have a lot of uh, Iron Ironman triathletes, you know, triathletes who complete everything as well. And I'm always interested to hear, hear how it stacks up. It's tough. <laughs> yeah, it's there's no doubt that it's a tough one. So when did you create a website and everything dedicated to this and build the Hall of Fame and, and like do all that stuff? Yeah, so when I, when, I, when I was kind of launching this concept, so it was, it was in those early days just before we, we actually had that launch weekend, I, I, I did sort of get the sense that there'll be some interest here. And I, I mean, I, I didn't expect it to kind of last this long. I, I knew there'd be some interest in, in completing this challenge, but... I sort of thought it would always be just a small handful of, of uh, you know, quite committed hill climbers that would ever be interested in it. But also, I knew that it would be it would make a lot of sense to whatever the these kind of rules and and framework we're setting for this challenge to make that as easily accessible as possible. Because if that's accessible for people, then it's it's easy for them to replicate it themselves as well. So yeah, the the, uh, the website I built just before we launched it all, so that you know when we launched, we had somewhere to to house these people, these athletes who had completed the challenge. But for the first uh, year or two, it was just literally a manual spreadsheet that I was entering people's details in. Thankfully, it's slightly more automated than that, but still, like, all, every single one of those 17,000 entries, I've personally that adjudicated, approved, written on their Strava. Pete, when you do that, it, oh, you'll be hearing from me. It's, it's not some computer algorithm that's working it all out I've, uh, I've got some tools that help me but yeah I'm, I'm approving each of those that is so cool so so Annie 17,000 people have completed it or attempted it uh sorry so there's, I should say there's so there's 17,200 today that that uh they're the attempt that the uh, successful completions I should say wow, that's I, I don't have the exact number but it's say it's about 15,000 great it's crazy. And I, every time I tell, talk to somebody about this, I always am very conscious to use the word attempt because I'm yeah. taking nothing for granted that I could actually do it because it's just such a crazy task. And just before we started recording, Tyler, I was saying to Andy, and I've said it to you, that it sounded like a huge number for the elevation, whether it's in meters or feet. But I yeah. didn't, until you start doing the math, you don't realize like how many kilometers it is. Like it's a, it's a huge a huge ride anyways like i mean even if it was pancake flat it'd be a huge ride for most people oh come, come on Pete. half of it's downhill yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, I have, as as we were debating um as we were debating hills me and some of my uh stronger buddies 
they made a couple of suggestions and they're like, well, it's only this much elevation. I'm like, no guys, I have to ride it. Or it's only this much distance. I'm like, no, no, no I got to ride down it too. It's double what you are it's thinking about. They're like, oh yeah, shit, this, that's a big day. I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm super yeah. Happy. Oh, sorry, Tyler. Uh, I was going to say, I, you know, I don't think I've ever ridden more than like 15 or 16,000 feet, <laughs> you know, in a single day. ride. Yeah. Which I don't know. I mean, maybe, day. maybe, maybe a thousand more. Like, why would you do any more than that? Like, it's, that's an extreme, <laughs> that's an extreme ride, you know? So to double that's just, you know, that's an, you know. And, and it's not, it's not a linear scale either. Like, uh, sure. yeah. Because, because we've got this like deep love of mountaineering and respect for it as well. There's a lot of terminology that makes its way across. So we don't have a support crew on the mountain. We've got Sherpas and, um, you know, also like, in Everest, they talk about the, I think it's 8,000 meters, above 8,000 meters is kind of the death zone where oxygen is yeah. really, really thin. And there's kind of this, this death zone in, in Everesting as well, which seems to be around like the, once you hit about six and a half, seven and a half thousand meters, you go into the doldrums until you kind of hit over 8,000. So it's sort of like in the, what's that, like mid, mid 20,000 feet, I guess. Um, it's, it's, that's where things become really tough. You've been out for a long time. And it's not just, yeah, it's not just incremental. That, that last thousand meters becomes really difficult. Of, of course, there's this point where it flips and you can see the finish line and things do feel a little bit easier. Adrenaline takes over and kind of you're back in, back in the game again. But yeah, Pete, do expect to, to hit the doldrums around the, it'll come at some point, six and a half, seven thousand meters, uh, something like that. Yeah. yeah. And how, how many Everest things have you completed? <laughs> Great question. So I've, done, I've done 10 now and number one, I don't think it's fair for me to call any challenge for our community without doing that myself. And the unfortunate thing for me means that like, we've got this running everything challenge. It, it has to be on my list. I, I used to run back in the day, like, but I'm talking like 20 years ago. So that's something that I'll have to tick off one day because I don't, I don't think it's fair for me to have a challenge out for the community and expect other people to do it if I'm not prepared to do that myself. But yeah, the, the 10 Everestings, um, it, it's been a bit of a mix of different, different Everestings. It's, I, I hate to say it, but it's, it's, it becomes a little bit addictive as well. And it's like any endurance sport, but the beautiful thing about Everesting is that, you know, marathons are generally kind of the same. Like, I mean, sure, it's some different, terrains and topographies and things like that but more or less they're fairly similar and same with an Ironman obviously you can swim in different lakes or rivers or, or you know um, oceans or whatever it might be but more or less the format's quite similar with Everesting literally it's every single Everesting is completely different because as, as you've seen in your shopping around for, for a segment I like you call it shopping too the different uh, different variables for each of them but you could do it on gravel or you could do it um you know on, on pavement you might decide to do one really long segment i mean people do haliakala it's what three reps um Ooh. you know well, you know you know that climb pretty well so um and or, or like um you know the, the suburban everesting that i did literally just across from where i live here in melbourne uh, i did ten thousand meters on the suburban street it was 220 reps of, of quite a steep Ooh. Very suburban street, you know, people were out mowing their lawns. I, 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 actually, I've got to tell you a funny story about that one because 
I, I don't I, I don't really like any fanfare around my own everything so I, I kind of for me that's my switch off time it's it's one of those rare moments you get in life where you could just you know just be one and be with with the bike and um there's something beautiful about that that I'm not I'm not going to kind of you know wax lyrical about the glory of suffering or anything like that there's plenty of people who do that but it's true like it's this moment where it's just you're so in the moment and it's just you and and the bike and I don't know I really like doing those solo so I've just been riding on this this street um this suburban street quite a steep one and because the residents had seen me out during the day quite a few of them were asking me as I was going past and each other oh, what are you doing and I had a little explainer board at the top and so there was a guy that lived pretty much at the top of the hill and he'd been cheering me on throughout the day and coming out and getting little updates and things like that. So it's close to midnight. Um, um, for this particular one, I was doing 10,000 metres. I've always wanted to do 10,000 metres in a, in a climb and I've done a few Everest things at that point. So I'm getting close to the end of the day and getting close to midnight, I've got like two laps to go and here he comes out in his dressing gown. He's like, hey, how's it going, Andy? Like how many reps now? I'm like, I've got one more to go after this. He's like, woohoo. I descend down and then as I'm coming up, he's running alongside me in his dressing gown, this random guy that I've never met before, like clapping and cheering me on and we get to the top and I think he was more overwhelmed than, than I was and so I gave this random guy like this in a dressing gown, he's giving me this giant hug and like patting me on the back and oh, that was amazing. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, anyway, like the... Uh, I don't know why I'm telling you, telling you that, but it's That's just, great. it's just like, uh, did you yeah, do the, all 10 on different hills? All, all different hills. Um, with the exception of the virtual everything. So again, that's something that I was never really inspired by myself. I've got to say, I'm, I'm, I prefer to be riding outdoors personally, but again, I can't call that challenge for a community without doing it myself. Um, and it, it is, it is different and it, it can be kind of fun in its own way as well. But yeah, I've done, I've done, what is it? Two on gravel. Uh, I did one on single track mountain bike. Uh, yeah, single track, which is amazing. It was heaps of fun. I've done them on big mountains and on short mountains. Uh, I was over in Sri Lanka two years ago to to do one in the tea fields there. Although I wasn't successful that day, it was uh, a little bit too steep, a little bit too hot, and a little bit too high elevation uh, that, we're, that we're riding at. But um, yeah, they're they're amazing. They're, they're great ways to kind of reconnect with the sport that you love so much. Yeah, yeah. So, how did the pandemic change Everesting? What did you see happen a year and a half ago? Yeah, it's it's sort of it was obviously massive for us. So we entered twenty twenty with under five thousand uh, successful Everestings in the Hall of Fame, and what what sort of happened was obviously Everesting had existed for for many years by that stage. So we launched it in twenty fourteen. So I'd been around it, you know, a good half dozen years, and. Um, yeah, essentially we went into that year, people had really started to be, to be talking about it and we knew it was getting talked about in the pro peloton as well. So uh, I'd been, um, Thomas de Gant had written some article during the previous Tour de France. He was just doing a, a like a, a daily update for, for one of the Dutch newspapers or Belgian newspapers, I think. And so I had it pop up in my alerts and, oh, you know, Thomas de Gant's talking about everything. How crazy is that? And yeah, he was basically saying that on that particular day, he was riding at the front of the peloton with Richie Port and they were discussing their own everything plans. They both had everything plans. And in the article, he, he mentioned that, but he didn't explain what everything was. Uh, he just assumed that the audience knew what that concept was. 
And so there are a few, moments, few, few kind of things in that moment for me back in, in 2019 where I thought, well, number one, like pro cyclists know about it, that's bonkers. Um, you know, we knew that Jens Voigt had done one and, and uh, but, but the fact that it was being talked about in the pro peloton and the fact that Richie Port and Cam Work were playing on one and Thomas DeGent and some of his team were planning on one, but also the fact that they were just talking about it so casually and there was just this implied knowledge of what it was that that for me made me realise, okay, it is starting to gain traction and to, to kind of really get known. So it was, there was no doubt that going into the pandemic, it was kind of this known, uh, known, known concept. But what happened during the pandemic was all of a sudden, all, everyone went into lockdown around the world. And, you know, all these athletes that have been training for whatever it was, whether it was cyclists or, um, you know, triathletes or whatever it was, they had all this kind of built up training and nowhere, literally nowhere to go and could, to, to go and do that and while a lot of events were kind of trying to do this pivot to to online you know virtual events um we, we sort of we'd been doing virtual everesting for years and years anyway so the platform existed people were already inspired by it people already knew about it so it was literally overnight it was like a switch got flipped and we went from you know a handful of everestings every week to just hundreds and i think this time last year, there was like 1,200 uh, Everestings in, in one month, which is, wow. you know, crazy. Wow. So um, also we had all these pro cyclists that were saying to us, well, you know, we've known about Everesting for, for a long amount of, of time, but we've never been allowed to. Our coach has always said, you know, you can't, you can't do that. It doesn't fit in with the training program, which yeah. obviously makes sense. But now the coaches were just saying, well, hell with it. Go, go for it. Like, why not? Like, there's no, nothing else. There's no, all the cycling's being cancelled. So, you know, we had uh, like there's Cavendish and Henderson, uh, Luke Rowe did one um, and, and they did, they, they, they're all doing virtual Everestings. Uh, we had a bunch of amazing female pro athletes that, that were, were Everesting as well. And then slowly different regions were coming out of lockdown, but cycling was still cancelled. And it was about this time that Phil Guyman uh, decided to have a crack at the Everesting record. It was a record that was sort of loosely held and had been around for a little while. Um, and yeah, so he set a new Everesting record, but that just immediately set off uh, all these pro cyclists who were attempting to beat the record. So Lucky Morton and uh, Alberto Contador, you know, they, they both uh, held Everesting records at different times. And as bizarre as it is, because my job, my, my day job is in cycling media with, with cycling tips, it was still blowing my mind that Everesting was then becoming this thing that was talked about because there's nothing else to talk about in in racing, and it for for a brief moment of time it became kind of the the thing that people could kind of follow and, and report on, which was which was sort of really bizarre. So yeah, it was a bit of a combination of this event or this challenge being in existence for a couple of years, alongside lockdown forcing people to to look at alternatives like Everesting, and then as well as you know a whole bunch of pro athletes jumping on board and and either completing it just to complete it or completing it to try and set new records and just it, it exploded in, in popularity. Yeah, you know, Pete and I had a lot of fun, like during the doldrums of, of COVID during like, the, you know, the extreme lockdown, it was just, it was, uh, I mean, that's what people were doing. That's what everybody seemed like they were talking about. And, you know, it was a ton of fun to just be a spectator and watch and observe and, you know, analyze. And yeah, it was just fa really fascinating, really fascinating. There's some really fun times where it pulled together a community as well. 
I have to say, like, um, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm more of a fan of riding outdoors, but yeah, one of the wonderful yeah. things about doing a virtual Everesting is you can have your, your tribe or your community literally join you on, on that, in that virtual environment. And it doesn't matter where they are. So every now and again, we held 500 holds, we call them lycra parties. So we held this, a few lycra parties on Zwift, uh, over the space of the, of the, the lockdowns. And it was a lot of fun, you know, we'd have literally a thousand people riding at once. Uh, all attempting an Everesting and yeah, it was just, it was just lots of, lots of fun, you know, it's kind of everybody lifts with that. And yeah, there's, there's been some great people like um, fundraising off the back of that as well for either frontline workers or uh, all sorts of charities. Yeah. It's been, yeah. been cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was fun just seeing that, you know, what Contador broke the record and then what, um, I think Ronan broke the, broke his record. Then uh, what Sean, the gardener, you know, broke that <laughs> record. And then back, Ronan did it again. And, you know, we saw that video, what, a couple of months ago on Cycling yeah. Tips there. And that was fantastic. You know, it's, I feel it's, with, it's fascinating. I feel with, with each of these, and, and it's interesting hearing about the like marginal gains required to, to kind of set a record these days. Um, it's, I, I sort of really feel that it's getting to the pointy, pointy end of things now. It's, yeah. it's sort of it's yeah. out of the realm of most recreational cyclists, obviously, now. Um, that's, that's a, that's a solid record that's been, been set at, uh, what is it, 640 now, which is um, just insane. I, I can't even do a half everesting in that amount of time. <laughs> <It's crazy. laughs> oh, yeah. I think it's, 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 it's half of what I think it might take me, or less than half. But, oh, but it's, his hill was also twice as steep. Yeah, that's Because <laughs> right. I can't ride up a 14% grade all day. Yeah. And let's not forget, Emma, Emma Pooley had a cranking time what was it eight, yeah. uh, eight like 50 850 or something like that that's incredible like, incredible who's having to do an 850 everything like that is literally a handful of people that have that have done yeah. it ever since and she's obviously an amazing ambassador for the sport for incredible sure. so we're, we're so like I, I was just so stoked i was like oh my god emma fully knows about everything and then not only that got the record that's that's really cool yeah. she's amazing yeah. So where do you think the record can go in the next like couple of years? You know, maybe, I mean, 10 years, that's kind of hard to like gauge, but maybe in the next year or two, what do you think? We'll talk think, to Ronan think, about that. Yeah, I think, I think it'll still, I mean, and Ronan probably um, would agree with this as well. Like there's still like a little bit of room there and, yeah. you know, like it, it, it jumped down this time a fair bit as well. There's 20 minutes uh, that, that Ronan took off the time there and um, he had a flat tire, which, which, yeah. you know, that, that blowout, which, you know, cost him and who knows what the effect, the flow and effect of that was for the next couple of laps as well. Um, I don't know. I, I was just blown away when it, when it broke eight for the first time. And then when it broke seven, um, look, a six and a half definitely feels like it's, you know, within the realms of possibility. Um, and I, I do think it will potentially fall again. I, th I think that time gap that we're seeing between these is, is growing larger and larger um, as in like, they're not just falling every, every weekend. And also it's not going to be an accidental record that's set by someone who just rocks yeah. up on a day and goes and smashes one out. It's, it's really that's over. Be, yeah. yeah. Those days are over. It's, it's going to have to be a concerted effort. Um, but I think, I think we will still see, see it fall a couple of times. Yeah. And Andy, are we going to see like Everesting bikes, you know, with like super lightweight climbing bikes with the fairing on the front? Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, like, is... who knows, right? Well, Tar, I think that the coolest thing about Everesting is that, like, every bike is an Everesting bike. You know, there's people <laughs> yeah. on Buffalo bikes or cargo yeah. bikes 
or you know, obviously mountain bikes. There was this, uh, you know, like a, a rider in the States who did one on a brakeless uh, track bike. Like amazing, absolutely amazing. I, well, I, somebody I'm, did it on a unicycle. Yeah, exactly. Of course. That's, a, that's incredible. Unicycle. That's yeah, incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, mean, I think the thing that's amazing about it is like, I, I don't know, I feel like every single day I'm inspired by this community and greatest thing about having kind of like this loose framework that, that pulls this community together is that people get super inventive with it and they take everything in all these different directions that I, I could never um, conceptualize myself and you, you can never manufacture that either but um, you know the, the other thing is like the the maximum elevation that people are reaching so everything's one thing but there's double and triple everything's and, you know, last last year a new record was set which was 35 and a bit thousand vertical meters, which is what's that like nearly 120,000 vertical feet, I think, pretty much. And maybe it's more than that, you know, 116,000 feet. But um, the, I think the, the thing that's the craziest about that 35,000 meter record is that was only one of five Everstings that were over 30,000 meters last year. There were five people that did over 30,000. Like, I just can't even tell you what, like, you know, like, like I said, you know, I've been to 10,000 meters twice on, on Everest things uh, over, over the last couple of years and jumping from 8848 to 10,000, that is a big gap. But the concept yeah. of doing double, I just can't even, I can't even imagine that. I'm so inspired by it that it is so far out of my wheelhouse. <laughs> Me too, uh, but I do use it as inf uh, as inspiration because the knowledge that a human body has endured that makes me think maybe I can do a third of it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, hey, you, you totally can. And look, like I said, you know, I've been listening to you know your preparation and, and planning um, for your everything, and uh, I think you're you're absolutely on the right path. And there's, there's so many times where I was listening to to you speak about it and out loud, I'm like. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, you've got the, you know, you've got the right plan. So, you know, you things like, you know, getting a good night's sleep the night before and starting early in the morning is definitely the way to go. Your body's going to be as rested as possible. Everyone can get up early for a ride here or there. So, I think Tyler's suggesting three or four. Or, you know, that's that's a, a brilliant, brilliant suggestion. And the best thing is you're going to be riding in the dark at, at the start when you're freshest and most mentally agile. Uh, and also most mentally prepared to ride in the dark, you know, it's, it's quite okay. Then you'll have the full daylight hours to take the benefit of. And if you don't finish it in daylight, you're only going to be dipping into a couple of hours of daylight right. at nighttime at the other end. So I think that's a really, really smart strategy. Um, one of the, like, uh, like I said, you know, way back in the day, I was like doing a lot of trail running and, and endurance trail running and, there's a lot of lessons I took from from those days where you know it's, everyone talks about this, but you chunk it down into manageable little little sections, and there's all these little tricks you can play on your brain that, that gives you a little bit of an advantage and just helps you deal with what you're doing. And so my one is okay. I'll say to myself, I'm going to start at 5 a.m. for an everything, but I know that I'm going to get up early, and I'll set my alarm earlier than that. And quite often I'll you know just wake up because you're excited as well, and just right, that's it, just going to get started. And so it feels like any elevation that you gain prior to 5 a.m., it's a complete false economy. Either way, you've got to still ride the same thing. <laughs> but it, it honestly feels like you're ahead of yeah. the game all day because, you know, you, you just you've started earlier and you're ahead of what you, you'd planned to do. So 
don't don't be afraid to kind of build in those false economies and you know chunking down is really important as well so i like to break mine down in a couple of different ways so break it down into say thousand meter or whatever it is in feet increments um and then obviously break down your reps and then if you're doing say 100 reps break that down into into chunks as well so chunks of 10 reps or five reps so you should every couple of laps you'll always be ticking off some sort of goal like have it have a a sheet or a tracking bit of paper or something so you can physically get out a marker and put it put an x through something and you're always either crossing off a set of five or you're crossing off a, a, an elevation you know uh, goal and it just feels like you're always kind of winning something and even even when you're struggling you're like yeah but next lap i'm going to hit six thousand meters so yeah it just sort of helps that's a great that's a great yeah. idea there's a lot of satisfaction in, in like okay here's a group of five or group of ten or whatever and you've like you have like a visual accomplishment yeah the, the other thing i i wanted to say that i think you're on the right track with definitely is on your in your hydration and nutrition plan so yeah, bars and gels have their place, no doubt. And, and they're there for racing and they're there for when you just need to be, you know, on the rivet and getting getting those calories in as quick as possible. But everything's different. You're going to be out on, on the road all day and real food is really important. So number one, it's just better for your stomach because you're going to be riding for so long that you need to have those, those real food. And either way, you're going to be in calorie deficit at the end of the day. So you can kind of go a little bit nuts and, and just, just go for it. Like... Um, a good friend of mine, Jesse Carlson, who runs a lot of endurance uh, races, he always said that those those endurance, those ultra rides, are eating competitions, and <laughs> it, it feels the same with everything. You know, you just you've got to eat a lot, but then also use use that nutrition as a reward. Like it might be a pizza that you're yeah. going to eat for dinner. You know, like you would ne you would never go eat a pizza while you're out on a on a on a race or something. However, for this, like you need to have those rewards. So. Um, and the other thing I usually do as well, I'll, I'll kind of bring everything along to my base camp because I'm not quite sure where my mood's going to take me. And, you know, my body's pretty good at saying, okay, I need salts in or I need sugars in or whatever it is. Obviously, I've got like set things that I want to eat at set uh, points in time and rice portables are really good and, and you know, those those kind of real foods. But, yeah, it's, it's good to have a bit of variety that you can pull on at the time and say, okay, I actually need it chocolate bar right now or i need need some crisps or something like that bring bring more than i think i need and totally. then i've got yeah. options and yeah. variety as well because you yeah. get sick of doing the same thing right i think i would think peanut butter and jelly sandwiches would be great you know absolutely right yeah. for the first half i would recommend pete i am rec recommend to you right now like eat pb and j's for the first half and I love PB and J's. So yeah, they're totally great. Works. great. And then get yeah. into the other stuff. I don't know, maybe some pizza or something. I don't know. Yeah, like heaps of simple yeah. sugars in PB and yeah. J's. Yeah. yeah, it's easy to eat. You can yeah. just kind of cram one in your mouth while you're descending. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, what are a couple of the craziest things you've seen come across in Everesting? The unicycles, obviously. <laughs> in terms of like distances or like shortest hill like how, how many what's like the most laps and stuff people have done so i think so most, most laps is nearly a thousand i think and oh, wow. a, there's like a there's a runner who did one in or a couple of runners who have done them on stairs before i, I don't count that because they're super super short because you basically you know one in one is is the, yeah. the elevation going up um but in terms of cycling yeah i think the record is about I'm going to get this wrong now. I think it's like 80 kilometers or maybe just under. 
which again, wow, downhill. So that's that's a super super short uh, one. The I'm pretty wow. sure it's the guy who currently holds the record. Actually, he is. It was sort of close enough that I could ride down and join him for a couple of laps. He obviously had a bit more gearing than what I did, but my front wheel was just lifting. It was like 30% plus um, for, for a lot of that climb. And I think I did about 10 reps and that was it. I was, I was out. Um, there's been quite a few bike share Everestings, um, you know, different bike shares around the world. So people, people doing those. Um, the, the YouTuber Francis Cade recently did one on a BMX, which was <laughs> really, really cool video. You should check this book out, Francis I'll, Cade. I'll look that up. It's, uh, it's pretty fun. Um, and then there's been it, not not one, but a couple of really Everestings where people, there's like, there's a guy who's got the Guinness Book of Records, you know, the longest wheelie in the world. And so he did a wheelie Everesting. So he just popped a mono and did 8,848 metres of of climbing, and I think there's been two. If I'm, if I'm not what? incorrect, yeah. <laughs> I know wheelies. No that's I'm incredible. Not wow. I'm not kidding. Like, how how could you wow. even do that? Yeah, wow. yeah, it's just insane. And and again, that for me, like that, um, the brakeless fixie, uh, I just that track bike for me that just really stands out in my mind is one of one of the toughest because. Yeah, not only if you only got one gear and you know how difficult it is riding fixed, but then descending fixed, but then using that transmission braking as opposed to regular. By the way, no one do this. It's a terrible idea. Yeah, right. Totally. <laughs> totally. Don't do it. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but yeah, obviously massive props. And again, there's a video about that as well. You can you can check out. So, but there's, yeah, yeah I think I'm just constantly inspired by this community because they just take it in so many different directions. Uh, yeah, it's, it's quite cool. Yeah. I think that's what well, caught our imagination is that you can do like yeah. anything, right? I mean, it's like, the, yeah. it's like a geek's paradise. You're just looking at hills and Strava segments. And, yeah. Yeah. And Andy, how does it feel like you've inspired so many people? So, so many people. That's got to I mean, feel pretty good. You know? Honestly, well, I just feel like a, a bit of a bemused bystander myself. Uh, I think because I'm so in it, I'm just like, uh, like everyone else, I'm looking at this going, yeah, I agree. It's crazy. It's 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 so it's so cool to see what's what's happening. But you know, like f from my side, it's like I've got a real job at Cycling Tips, and this just fills yeah. in my, my spare time every single day, and uh, you know, every every morning and every night, I'm, I'm working on on everything. But it's it's easy to commit that time when you're just seeing what it brings to people. It, it could be people that have completed something that's harder. You know, they've set a PB for. The most elevation they've ever done or i love i nothing fills me with more joy than when people say this is the toughest thing i've ever done in my life and i just i love the thought that you know there's all these people that through a challenge that we you know i, I came up with a couple of years ago are going to you know when they're old and gray and sitting on their porch and chatting to their grandkids about the good old days they'll pull out that story of when they did an everesting and no, that's that's pretty cool to think that it's it's affected people's lives like that. But then also the, the how everything is used is quite cool as well. So it's been used for fundraising or awareness raising, yeah. and like very many times, and um, like it's it's raised literally millions of dollars for, for different charities, and that that's really cool as well to think that the effect of everything is not only just this personal satisfaction that you can get it, but you can change other people's lives through 
through fundraising or through through awareness raising of, of different causes and, and charities. That's super cool. Thank you for spending some time with us, Andy. It's great to get to know you a little bit and get to the origin of it because we're and we're going to keep following along with it. Like we're huge fans, but yeah, like Tyler said, you've inspired a ton of people and, and, and they're using it as a vehicle to do a lot of good. And that's just super cool. Like what a legacy. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I really appreciate it. And Pete, you've got like a, a direct line into me and I'm obviously I'll be following your story. I, I can't wait to hear Thank how you. it goes. Like, you know, we should touch base offline. If you've got any questions whatsoever, uh, I, I'd be more than happy to help out because you, you will do this. Um, it's, it's not going to be easy, I'll tell you, but you, you'll do this. And I'll tell you the main reason why is because you've socialized it. So you kind of have totally. to. Totally. <laughs> totally. And that was That's part like, of the motivation, right? Like fundraising and talking about it yeah. and people downloading our podcast and me like, I kind of put it out there, right? And I was very hesitant to put it out there until I was ready to do that, right? Because I was like, once it's out there, that's pretty tough to take back. Plus, Tyler's going to give you so much shit if you don't do it. Yeah. So much Sorry. shit, like for years. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm originally from Boston, and that's what we do. We just, you know, we give each other grief. So, yeah, yeah, there you go. That, yeah. That's a good yeah, yeah. Better, if anything else. But it's, yeah, all for a good reason. All for a good reason. Uh, Andy, can you share a little bit with us about just kind of your day job at Cycling Tips. Great, great website. You know, love all the riders there. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been awesome having another vehicle to like to you know to read about news and cycling. You know, it's great. Yeah. It's great. Thanks for the comments about Cycling Tips. It is a great organization to work with, and yeah. we're really lucky to to you know be surrounded by or to have some of the, the best uh, cycling journalists working for us. and um, But, yeah, uh, as it turns out, this week I celebrated my eight-year anniversary with Cycling Tips, which is crazy. I, I was, you know, to think that I could even get a year working in my dream job would have would have been amazing. Um, but, yeah, like I've been working there for eight years. Uh, my current role is in membership. So we've got a, a membership program called Velo Club. But I, I absolutely love it. It's um, an amazing group of people to work with. The, the job has taken me to some of the most incredible places around the world. Back when travel was a thing, uh, yeah. but you know, I've, I've been taken to to the remote, uh, you know, outskirts of Kyrgyzstan, or I, I rode my bike on Mount Everest itself. Uh, you know, and this is all for all for cycling tips. So, yeah, it's it's incredible. If you haven't checked it out, make sure you head to cyclingtips.com. But yeah, great website, great photography, great great writing. So, cycle people should check out cyclingtips.com. Everesting is it .org? Uh, Everesting.cc. .cc and uh, Hell's 500. Where can people follow? You guys have awesome Insta Instagram content on Everesting and uh, and Hell's 500. Thank you. Yeah, you can follow, follow us via the, all, all the usual social media channels and you, you can track us down pretty easily, Hell's 500 and, and Everesting. It's awesome. awesome. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, Andy, I know I'm going to be talking to you. <laughs> so thank you. You're most welcome. Like I said, I'm so stoked to, uh, you know, to hear about your upcoming attempt. Uh, again, you're, you're going to get this. But, um, yeah, if you need any advice, sing out. I'm, I'm more than happy to supply that. Can't wait to, uh, to get yours through and, and officially approve it when, when the time's right. That means a lot. Awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, Andy, keep up the great work. It's really uh, a treat to have you on, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Thanks so much. Anytime. Yeah. Awesome. Hope to talk. Thanks, Hope guys. to talk to you again soon. Take care. Catch you later. Thanks, Bye. Eddie.
one more big shout out to Andy Van Bergen for spending some time with us on the podcast. Absolute pleasure getting to chat with him. I am personally going to take advantage of his invitation to use him as a resource as I plan my own Everesting attempt. Thank you for spending some time with us as always uh, and listening and tuning in. Please like, share, subscribe wherever you can. Give us an opportunity to help grow the podcast and reach some new listeners. We will be back next week with another episode. Thanks so much.